Hey there, I'm Marjorie Stiegler, and you're listening to the Career Prescription Podcast, where we tackle the important things they don't teach you in medical school, like how to treat your career like the business it really is, with strategies to accelerate the kind of success that you want, because you deserve a career you love and a career that loves you back. Are you ready? Let's get into it. Hey all, welcome back. Today we're going to be talking about some top tips to save time. And while that sounds like probably pretty generic, it is something that I get asked about a lot, right? All the time. Um, people often ask me how I have time, for example, to do this podcast uh, or to teach the courses that I teach. And how do I have time to, you know, fit in other things at work or with my family? And of course, Obviously, uh, you know, it's a matter of prioritization, right? Not everybody can do everything. I mean, nobody can do everything. None of us can do everything. Uh, but I do have some um, tried and true tips that I think really do make the difference, at least for me. So I'm happy to share them on the podcast here with you today. And I hope that uh, if you're already doing some of these things, maybe uh, chatting about them helps you to think about it in a slightly different way. Or maybe you hear something today that you'll decide to give a try. Um, if, you know, if these sound like the kind of advice that you've heard already, um, try to think about it in a new way in your life. Because I will say, I think one of the biggest barriers to time management suggestions is that people say, well, that won't work for me. That'll never work for me. Um, in fact, and again, I'm going to get into my tips here in a second, but I recall being um, on a on Twitter, not that long ago, somebody had posted a you know a question, and there was a, a bunch of replies. Um, and her question was about you know people who um, who work full time and have kids and some other things. You know how, what are what are their best time tips? And I replied with one of mine and basically got laughed out of the room because people say, "Oh, everybody does that," but I'm not sure that people do. So with that, let me just dive right in. Um, with what I think is actually the thing that is uh, probably the most important for me. When I find myself slipping on this, um, it's very apparent in my life because things start to get all crazy. So number one is I plan my day the day before and I plan my week the week before. I know that sounds like well, that's not rocket science, but I plan it and I stick to it. Maybe that's the part that people don't do. I, I stick to it. And just like everybody else, yes, things come up. Things come up that try to, to compete for my time, my attention. Uh, things come up for my family. Things come up at work. And, you know, I'm not saying I never deviate from my plan, but I try very, very hard to stick to the plan. I certainly do not deviate from my plan for, you know, uh, just emails or pings or the phone rings or, or things like that. I definitely don't. So what I mean by that is, you know, as I'm finishing my work the day before the next day, I sit down and I think about, okay, what do I really need to get done the next day? And sometimes that's a bill I need to pay. Like it's a personal thing that I need to take care of, make the kids dentist appointments, whatever. Sometimes it's something that I didn't get done that day that I know is urgent enough. I need to make sure the next day I really focus on it. If it's none of those things, then I really just think about my work in general and I pick no more than two or three things that need to happen the next day. And I, I plot it out on a little list, but also I literally stick it into my calendar. So I do have meetings that occur during the day, but if I have tasks that need to get done, if I have things that need to get done, those can't get done during the meetings. So I either put them in spaces 
in my calendar where there aren't meetings or I move meetings. And, you know, it's ideal to not do that the night before, which is also why I try to plan my week the week before. So similarly, on Friday, before I call it a week, I look at the week ahead and I think about, you know, is there anything really important left over from this week I didn't get to? Because I better put that first if indeed it's important. And then I think about, well, what is on my calendar? And does does the sort of schedule that I have on my calendar support me getting done the things that really need to get done? Or are the meetings the most important things or whatever? So for you, you may have a different kind of job. So it may not be about meetings and tasks, but however it is, you really think about what is coming in the week ahead and what do I need to get done that week? And I put those things in my calendars if they are appointments, and then I just don't deviate from it. I know everybody else, uh, or not everybody else, but many people make plans like this, but what they find is they only get you know half of it, uh, half of their day matches what they intended to do or or even less. And that's oftentimes because we wake up, we reach for our phone, we see an email or a ping or a direct message, and we're suddenly off on a completely different direction. And I strongly encourage you to just simply not do that. Stick to the plan that you have thought about the night before and the week before. That way you can sleep well. You don't wake up all in a flurry on the morning that you are trying to figure out what you need to do and you sleep well on the weekend because, you know, it's not a, a Sunday night scramble to try to figure out what your week is. You already know you've planned it out well. You've made the space to do the things that are most important. You're thoughtful about it and you stick to it. So that's number one. Easy, easier said than done, but if you do it, it makes a huge difference. Okay, number two, this is something I've been doing for a very, very long time, right? Even in the old days where everything was in paper. Um, don't open mail, or I guess today it would be also email, messages, and whatever else, uh, notifications, unless you are ready to act on them. Don't do it. So I know you're looking at your phone and you have all those little red bubbles that tell you how many unread messages you have, and it feels really compelling to want to take a look. And perhaps you go to the mailbox every day and take out your physical mail and you kind of want to rifle through it. I mean, you could do that if that's relaxing for you. But to me, these are not only sort of time sucks, but they're also a really good way to get disorganized and forgetful. So what I like to do is if I imagine everything is on paper, I would just take it and put it in a pile and I don't look at it right away. And I have a set time. Sometimes it's a set time per day. Maybe it's a set day per week where I sit down and go through all of it at once. So with physical mail back in the day, you know, snail mail, my bills and things like that, that used to be a every two weeks activity. So I wouldn't look at the stuff unless it was that, you know, biweekly day that I do. And then I would sit down and I would do all of it. I had my checkbooks, you know, I'm really dating myself. I had my checkbook, I had my stamps, you know, I had whatever was necessary to take care of what was going on. The same thing is true today in your email and in your direct messages and all of the various platforms that you're using. If you open the things and you look at them, then you have to keep track of them. If you don't have the time to actually act on them, if, if you you know need something that requires you to be at a laptop or desktop, but you happen to be on your phone, if you would need a, a file or some other piece of information that's not immediately available to you, to me, that then what happens is it gets kind of lost in the shuffle. Unless, by the way, listeners, if you have an amazing solution for this, I'd love to hear about it. But especially notifications, they just get marked as read and then they just get buried. An email, of course, you can mark it as unread. You can you know, snooze it, send it back. There are ways to do this. But I think basically this just invites disorganization because it takes the time 
and the mental capacity to look at things and to think about them, but you don't get to kind of cross any of it off because you're not ready to do it. So not only is it taking you more time when you do sit down and you're ready to do it because you've already sunk some time thinking about it when you weren't ready to act, but at least for me, this has a tendency to make my brain wonder, did I do that or did I just think about doing it, right? Did I really do it or did I just think that I did it? And then that gets me uh, confused, makes me forget things. It, it just does not keep things really orderly. So it's not only um, less efficient, but I find it can be one of the reasons why things could fall through the cracks if there's something that I truly forget to do. Because I opened it up, I thought about it, and, and my brain convinces me I took care of it, but I didn't. So that's number two. Don't open it until you're ready to act on it. That leads me to number three, which is, again, for me, a big lifesaver. But it depends upon how you work. So this may or may not be, work for you, but for me, is this really makes a big difference. I batch my projects. I batch my work. What I mean by that is I am not checking email constantly all day long. I check email up twice a day. And, I, and again, it's in my calendar, right? But I have a time in the morning where I check the email and I do have enough time blocked off that I'm ready to act on it. Really important. I don't open more email than I'm ready to act on, et cetera. So I batch it. I get a portion of it done in the morning, portion of it done in the afternoon. And uh, I am not therefore then constantly responding to people because there is always stuff coming in. I mean, there is a flood of, you know, emails and requests and pings and DMs and it's always coming in. But if I spent my day reacting to things like that as they came in, I would never get my daily and weekly plans done. So I don't do that. And I let my colleagues know. So people know that that's how I manage my email and my messages. They know they're, you know, they can send it to me that way, but I'm not going to be getting it back to them in that quick of a manner. Also, my core team knows, I, like the, I give them the bat phone, right? They do have a way to get in touch with me if they're having a true emergency. So there's a guaranteed way that if there's really, really something that needs my attention, then they can get me. Um, but it but it needs to be justified, right? It needs to justify that particular method of communication because it will be disrupting my plan and my day. Um, but it's there, right? So there is sort of a backup. So I know a lot of people are saying it wouldn't work for them to batch their work because they wouldn't be, you know, their expectations at work that people would, you know, expect them to be at the ready. I would suggest, though, that unless your job is to answer questions all day long, and that that literally is your job, if that's not your job, I think there is a way to work with uh, with batch communication management, and you just need to tell people that that's how you do it. People will learn, um, and part of that is boundary setting. All right, this takes me also into number four, because I did mention things are coming in all the time, right? Emails coming in, messages are coming in, things are coming in much faster uh, then most people can handle them. This is true for me. I'm sure it is true for you too. And I've said, don't open things unless you're ready to act on them. And I've said, you should batch them. And so the logical sort of question in many people's minds is, well, I will be buried, right? How would I ever unbury myself? How will I ever get on top of things? And my answer to that is ignore things. And I know that that uh, for some of you, you'll be thinking like, yes, absolutely, right? We're We're speaking the same language. For others of you, you're thinking, what do you mean, Marjorie? How do I just ignore things? But you you can and should, because most things are not important. Maybe only about 20% of things that come across your radar are actually important and actually require you 
to take an action and to do them. And there's always going to be more stuff to do than a person can ever get done. So you have to prioritize what you intend to do. And so what I do, and and it's hard, you know, kind of goes against the grain, right? Goes against what I feel like I should be doing, but I'm I'm training myself and I've been doing this for a long time and and it does work, um, but it, it kind of takes work. Um, I only open about 10 to 15% of my email and messages, and I only respond to maybe 5% of those. So I scan a lot of things and I use um, a software that does a lot of filtering for me to literally just intercept it before it lands in my inbox. And when I see things, you know, I, I give them a scan, I scan the subject line in the sender, and most of the time those things go directly into archive. I often don't delete things. That's just my preference. You might just stick them in delete. There's no reason, but I like archive. It's it's reference material in my mind, but I get it right out of there. I literally do not open it. Why not? Well, because as I said, again, most things don't actually require you or they're not all that important. And if that's the case, if it's just an FYI or something that you're being kind of looped in on, that's not something that you necessarily need to invest your time in and definitely not something that you need to respond to. Also, if things are unsolicited and, you know, they're from an unknown sender, that's another um, like flag for me that I'm probably going to ignore it, right? Because if it's not something that I'm expecting, that I already know what it is and that I want to be engaged in, a lot of times it's just frankly something that is not important for me. And whoever it is that's the sender uh, will find somebody else that that will do just as great of a job. In fact, probably a better job because it'll be something that catches their eye and they're more interested in. Just again, more unsolicited email, right? Things that are just not um, that are not a priority for you, right? Someone's sending them to you, but they're not a priority for you. And so that helps me to decide what I respond to, right? Or what, I'm sorry, what I open, about ten to fifteen percent. Uh, and I said I only respond to maybe about five percent. So what are the kinds of things that I don't respond to? I definitely do not respond to reply alls. Right. I mean, don't respond to things that are an FYI unless someone has specifically asked me to close the loop. And and I, in particular, am an important person. Right. It's not just for my awareness, but it's for my action uh, or my agreement. Right. I, otherwise, I do not respond to those at all. And I just don't respond to emails that don't have enough information for me. And so as a couple of examples that came in actually to my to my uh, inbox today, I got two emails. I often get listener emails. I do look at those, right? I, those are something that I do look at. But today I got two emails that um, I did not respond to. So I opened them, but I didn't respond. And if you're listening and you recognize this as you, I ask you to please write me back because now you'll know I'm not responding. One uh, was someone telling me about how she's starting her um, a, a business and she wanted to know if I have any tips for getting noticed on Instagram. So this was one or two sentences, you know, hey, I'm I'm retired now. I want to take the information that I've learned over the past, you know, three decades and put it into educational information. And how do I get noticed on Instagram? So that was one. And the other was from a, a professional who said, you know, I've I've been really struggling in my career. And do I have any suggestions that would help for what she's going through? So you can see that both of those are incredibly nebulous, right? I mean, an Instagram strategy for a new business is not a email conversation. And also it's a conversation for which, you know, I have the branding prescription. It's an 18 hour CME course. I'm not going to be able to via email reply, 
um, no matter how long that reply is, to be able to unpack the question and like to learn enough about this person's business and be able to make a strategic plan for them um, on how to get tips on Instagram. Also, a person can just Google that, right? I'm sure there are a ton of references on how to build your Instagram platform that are quite up to date, probably more um, knowledgeable about that specific question than I am. So not only am I maybe not the right person to answer this question, but I definitely do not have enough information to act on it in a way that would be meaningful to the sender. So because I can't help, I ignore it. And then while my heart went out to the person who said they were really struggling and asked if I had any suggestions for what they're going through, I have no idea what they're going through. So because they didn't say anything about what they're going through or how they are struggling. So again, I don't have enough information to respond in a way that would be meaningful. I can understand why a sender maybe doesn't want to put details about what they're going through in their email. But then that's, again, I may not be the right person to answer that question. Maybe this is more of something for a coach. Maybe it is for a therapist. Um, if it is for me, then it's probably it managed best through one of my courses. And I'm, I would need details on what's going on in order to be able to make a recommendation. So again, I guess I've taken more time just to even record this on the podcast than to answer these emails, but I don't have enough information. And in the past, I used to respond to each of these things saying everything I just said here out loud. You know, I'd write it down for everybody. But the reality is I get too much of that to do that all the time. And so when people send me information or, or questions that don't have enough information for me to respond in a meaningful way, today, I just don't respond. And you might be asking, what about if you're missing things? I mean, if you're scanning your email and you're only opening 10 to 15% of it, and only responding to 5%, what if you miss things that are from an important sender or an important opportunity? I think this is it's, this is a totally valid concern. You may well miss some things. That could happen. For me, that's the right trade-off. I might miss a couple of things, but that's the trade-off for my sanity, that other 85% of my email that is out of my, um, out of my management pile. Um, so that gives me a lot more time. The other thing is that when people are trying to get in touch with you about something important, they're usually quite persistent. So if it is important and if it specifically requires you, like you're the person that they have in mind, they will get back to you again. I don't think you need to worry about that. And then my fifth tip and the way I'll close this episode, this is really less of a work one and, and more of a, a literal one for around the house, but I find it could be interpreted both literally and maybe metaphorically. So see what you can pull from this. I recall reading an article that I believe was about like keeping your house tidy and one of the recommendations, again, not rocket science, was never leave a room empty-handed. And they went on to, I don't, I, I'm sorry, whomever wrote the book or the newsletter, I don't remember where I heard this or who, you know, I would like to give the, um, the credit. It's definitely not my idea, but I can't remember. So I'll just say that. Um, but, but the person's point was, you know, that if you are in the living room and, you know, there's something that needs to go to the kitchen, like when you stand up, just take it. When you're leaving the kitchen, is there something that needs to be put away in a different room? If so, just take it. Um, you know, if the kid's socks are on the floor, just pick them up, right? Just never leave the room empty-handed. Always be on the lookout for what what is something that's right here in front of me that really is better placed somewhere else and just do it, like, with yourself. And if you get in that habit, this author said, and I find it to be true, you can usually identify something that actually just flows so that you're not taking a different trip, right? You you are in the room where you are, you know where you're about to be going, 
and there's often something that needs to go there. So it works out perfectly. If you just keep it top of mind, never walk out of the room uh, empty handed. I think there's probably a metaphorical way too um, to apply this to work in terms of, you know, whatever it is that you are doing to really be looking for tiny actions that you can do right away. Um, and again, you know, don't open things unless you're ready to act on them. But when there are things in front of you that take just, you know, less than a minute to do, uh, just get them get them done right away instead of letting them accumulate. Um, even just the sort of lowered uh, cognitive load and not having to keep track of those things and thinking about those things, I find is really, really valuable, even if it doesn't directly translate into saved time. So those are my tips. Plan your day the day before and your week the week before and stick to it. Do not open things unless you are ready to act on them. Do that kind of communication work in batches. Ignore most of the stuff and never leave the room empty-handed. I love it. This is what helps me. I hope it helps you too. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time. Before you go, please review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. Your support makes all the difference, and it truly helps this information reach someone just like you who may really need it. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thank you.